0: So all over the world, we have reported sightings of hairy hominids, beasts, throwbacks to a prehistoric age, maybe. In the Himalayan mountains, though, is a, a truly sort of unique hairy hominid. It has its own characteristics. Yeah, the locals call the Meto Kangmi. In America, we call it the Yeti, or Abominable Snowman. And I'm going to tell you where that
1: name comes from. Please stay tuned. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded we become, fearful to be deceived. Still we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome friends to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway.
0: So the Yeti is one of the many hairy hominids known to roam the world. I think in America we have, we have Sasquatch sightings in every state except Hawaii, which of course Hawaii wasn't part of the original Pangea, whatever you want to call it, that original continent. It's a volcanic island, so Yeti or Bigfoots would probably have to migrate there.
1: I think it would be strange to see a Sasquatch <laughs> Bigfoot in Hawaii. We're
0: going to start with a description of the Yeti here, and then we can go into some sightings and, and the origins of the Abominable Snowman moniker. So the Yeti is said to be very muscular, covered in dark gray to reddish-brown hair. They weigh between 200 to 400 pounds on average, uh, and they're short compared to American Bigfoot. About They average about six feet tall. Oh, an average-sized human as far as height. Yeah. They have a pointy, crowned, conical head, which seems to be pretty common in the artwork, with a wide mouth full of large teeth. They have very long arms. And they're commonly regarded as being peaceful. Now, this is the most common description of the Yeti, the one that pops up the most in folklore and in the sightings of of travelers in the mountains. They inhabit the Himalayas, and that's where they're seen. Now, those are the most common descriptions. However, there seem to be three varieties of Yeti that are commonly reported by the locals. We have first what we call the Little Yeti. It is said to be just three to maybe four and a half feet in height. Uh, They inhabit warmer climates than the other Yetis, and are usually found in the forested valleys below the snow line in Nepal, Bhutan, Tibet, and Sikkim. Theories, of course, say that this is possibly a juvenile or even a female Yeti proper. That's what I
1: was wondering, if the size might not uh, dictate the age
0: or or the sex. Then we have what you call the Big Yeti. Uh, It kind of lives up to the common description that I gave earlier. Six foot tall, reddish brown hair, muscular. It is known to attack yaks at times. And they are reported to live from 13 to 15,000 feet uh, above sea level. So they're up in the mountains. Gotcha. And then you have what we call the Nialmo. This is a true giant said to be 13 to 20 feet tall. Wow. He, uh, he feeds on yaks, mountain sheep, and possibly even people. Now, uh, he is said to wander the eternal snows of the altitudes above 13,000 feet. Now, uh, Bernard Huvelman's sort of a renowned cryptozoologist and was very involved in the Yeti phenomenon. Uh, he suggested that Nialmo may be a myth inspired by the idea that Yetis get larger the higher up in the mountains you climb. Higher altitude? Taller? Larger? Hmm. Well, you know, in... in Well, again, let's go back to D&D.
1: I mean, you go up in the mountains, you get mountain giants. and Hill right. giants are a little shorter, mountain giants well, a little bigger. We even talked about uh, the oxygen difference up in that area. Obviously, if that's what you grew into, then you're going to uh, react differently to it. Your body will.
0: Now, of course, scientifically speaking, the less oxygen you have, the smaller you're going to be. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of seems little contradictory. counterproductive. So, of course, like we said earlier,
1: the Yeti comes from Himalayan folklore. Now, I've got a couple other stories we don't mind. I'll kind of jump in. Now, you had mentioned, of course, that kind of these sightings are all over the area. I've got one, actually. Uh, there's a creature called a Chuchana. Uh, it is of Russian folklore in the uh, Siberian uh, Arctic area. Um, it's described as six to eight feet tall, so kind of your medium, or I think what you called the large. Yeah, the, the Russians had like a full-scale expedition to find that, I believe. But again, what was interesting here, we got Himalayans, we got you know the white snow, but all of them described the Chuchana as dark hair which is very much like Bigfoot Sasquatch type. Well, a typical Yeti sightings, dark gray to reddish brown. Their hair color They're not usually
0: change. found. I know the pop culture sort of depicts the abominable snowman as being white, white. but that's not, not necessarily it.
1: true. Now, again, they say in, in the Russian version of the Chuchana that it is a Neanderthal-type man uh, wearing pelts. And while it's... It has white patches for some reason that it has on its forearm. So their portrayal of this particular creature is: it's not a monster; it's a Neanderthal man dressed in furs. Now you saying that? I know we're we're probably going to get a little bouncy here. I do remember
0: there's a bit of Russian folklore about a, a woman who supposedly had a child, I believe, with one of these creatures because they're ah. genetically
1: similar. That so. did, okay, makes sense. Well, this thing, um, it's said to occasionally consume human flesh. Uh, the hunter becomes the hunted, so to speak. So obviously, unlike many of their cousins, vegetarians, you know, vegetables on the side, please, you know. <laughs> but definitely a, a, a man flesh eater. And again, it the belief isn't that it's a monster, but literally it's ancient man that somehow has survived in Siberia, of all places so i thought that was interesting semi-related well, we talked about siberia before that's a unforgiving harsh land yeah that's where it's almost a place uh well siberia is where they send people to be forgotten yeah. basically <laughs> and they just may not come back so yeah definitely now also pre-19th century buddhists uh, had some beliefs and several of the groups there in the himalayan mountains stated that they worshipped what they called a glacial being. The the God of the Hunt. The God of the Hunt. That's quite a title. Other folklore recalled a red-eyed primitive man, ape creature, uh, who was said to have carried a large stone that had been constructed into a weapon. And he swings it around kind of making a swooshing noise to kind of taunt the people or creatures that he's hunting. I'm
0: probably gonna mess up the name on that one. I have it here too, the Mi Rigod. Um I we're think. gonna go
1: with your pronunciation on that. I or agree. or wild man. You got my vote. Let's go wild man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they uh
0: they believe that the blood of the wild man was a uh, was mystical and it, it figured into some of their ceremonies.
1: Interesting. Interesting. You wanna go,
0: you know, early, early, early. Alexander the Great demanded that he be presented with a yeti when he conquered the Indus Valley in 326 B.C. Well, that seems a reasonable request. Well, the locals locals told him that wasn't possible, that yetis could not survive at low altitudes. So (laughs) they refused his request. Now, uh, I did say I was going to tackle the origin of the Abominable Snowman name. So I kind of want to dig into that a little bit. I think it's an interesting story. Here in Western pop culture, we call it the Abominable Snowman. Uh, the, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer special has the Abominable. Uh, I love that. You know, so we, we use that that name. Now, that name was coined in 1921. Lieutenant Colonel Charles Howard Burry led the 1921 British Mount Everest Reconnaissance Expedition. Uh, he wrote a book talking about his adventures. And in the book, he included an account of crossing the Lakpala which is northeast of Mount Everest. And there he found footprints that he believed were, and I quote, probably caused by a large loping gray wolf, which in the soft snow formed double tracks rather like those of a barefooted man.
1: I remember reading about this.
0: Now his Sherpa guides at once volunteered, uh, and again, I quote, that the tracks must be that of the wild man of the snows, to which they gave the name Meto So that's a hyphenated Meto dash Kangmi. Matome translates to man-bear, and Kongmi translates as snowman. Hmm. Now, uh, Henry Newman, a contributor to the Statesman in Calcutta, which I believe is a newspaper, he interviewed the men of that expedition, and he translated Mato as filthy for some reason. And then he punched it up a little bit and called it abominable. So then it became Abominable Snowman.
1: Well, it does sound better than Filthy Snowman.
0: Well, yeah, but... <laughs> I mean, man, bear, snowman, man bear, snowman, <laughs> <laughs> but that is the origin of the name abominable snowman that, that is we use sp- here in, in the West.
1: That is. And to me, as soon as you say the abominable snowman, I think of the, the Santa Christmas special Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That's, well, that's, that's what I am picking in and again, my mind.
0: That's, that's when you picture the, the big hairy, be- white hairy beast. Yeah. Kind of bluish skin. None of the, none of the Yeti sightings yeah. have white yeah. ha- fur. Not so or much. I'm, I'm sure there, there may be some, but
1: mostly they're that, you know, gray of red. I had a, a similar story. This was in 1925. Uh, there was a photographer and, and members of the Royal Geographical Society, and um, they recorded that they saw a creature. Uh, it was about uh, 15,000 feet near Zimu Glacier that you, I think, had mentioned. Seems to be kind of a reoccurring hotspot. Uh, he had observed this creature for about a minute to a minute and a half, and he guessed it was 250, 300 yards away. Um, he said this creature uh, showed up very well because it was a contrast of the dark fur against the white snow. Uh, he said it was definitely a human shape, in his words, quote-unquote. Uh, walked up right, and it seemed to stop occasionally to pull at some bushes. Uh, there were some rhododendrons, I think, that, that grew in the area as if possibly it was stopping to uh, eat as it was foraging. Now, he said as far as he could tell, again, turn 50 to 300 yeah. yards away, uh, he didn't see any forms of clothing, and he did not feel that it was a human wearing a coat or anything because the entire body was covered. Now, I'm, I'm not a mountain climber, but
0: 15,000 feet by a glacier. Seems like a good place to have clothes. I think I <laughs>
1: think it would stand without reason that uh, a guy, a gal, I don't care how tough you are, you're probably not going to survive for too awfully long out there if you have no clothes on. He went and alerted somebody in his group. There were multiple people that saw this, so it wasn't just a single. And the group, I don't know if they were kind of already heading that direction, but regardless, they, they made a decision to go inspect that area. Uh, it took them about two hours to cross that distance, however, that they did find uh, the creature's prints. They said it was similar to the shape of a man, but only six to seven yeah. inches yeah, they were they were small small um, so a small foot, if anything uh, but anyhow they wanted to confirm and and again they got over there they saw the small prints about four inches wide, six to seven inches long. And the creature's prints, they thought, was undoubtedly uh, bipedal. You know, obviously an animal using only two legs for walking. But there was no signs of it.
0: Yeah, a lot of sightings are kind of like that. They're not prolonged sightings. They're just little blurbs. I think uh, kind of like when we talked about one of the shadow people. And and that's strange for a phenomenon that's been around for so long. Yes. Because, uh, you know, I have uh, in 1932... In James Princep's journal of the Asiatic Society of Bengal, uh, he published the uh, account of an explorer named B.H. Hodgson, uh, in which uh, local guides had spotted a tall bipedal creature covered in long, dark hair, uh, which fled from them. Now, they, of course, were were superstitious, and then they concluded it was the wild man of the mountains. Hodgson himself uh, concluded that it must be a lost orangutan.
1: I heard several references uh, to orangutan uh, apes. I mean, if
0: you, I mean, I'm sure you've been to the zoo and you've seen an orangutan. Mm-hmm. You know their shape. They're not six feet tall usually. No, and they definitely have their own kind of way of getting around.
1: That's yeah, I was not. Gonna say, I wouldn't call it a bipedal, yeah, it standing, uh, erect, it, walking yeah. with two legs.
0: Yeah, they don't look like people when they rock, walk around. So one of the earlier sightings, 1899, um, Lawrence Waddell. Uh, in the book Among the Himalayas, recounted seeing footprints as guides described a large ape like creature had left these prints. He thought they had been made by a bear, and bears seem to be the most common way to dismiss Yeti uh, sightings.
1: Now, is this the photograph that uh, has the pickaxe that was laying next to it? It's kind of renowned as one of the best footprints.
0: You know, it may be. I don't remember. Finding where that was. A th- I I remember
1: I kept coming across it's a photo with a three-toed footprint. Yeah, and they have the, the a, a typical sort size of, ice pick sitting that is next to it. Sort of for the scale. most common Yeti I, photo. I come across that over and over.
0: Okay, uh, Waddell, of course, he had heard the stories of the ape-like creature, but he he didn't believe that there had ever been an authentic sighting of it. He didn't think he didn't
1: think the Yeti was
0: real. And then again, we just have kind of a well, slate of just
1: little. Little hit and misses here. One of the things we talked about before we started recording, I think, is one of the more interesting stories, and, and I won't steal all of your thunder, but uh, I do have a newspaper article dated March 19, 1954, and it was simply called the Daily Mail. Uh, they printed an article which described an expedition uh, of a couple teams actually obtaining hair specimens from what was alleged to be a Yeti scalp And it was found at a monastery. Uh, The hairs were black to a dark brown in color. And if you had them in the sunlight, they said that they would actually reflect almost like a fox-like red tint. Very orangutan-ish, if you will. Um, They were examined by Professor Frederick Wood Jones and an expert also uh, in human and anatomy. During the study, the hairs were bleached for whatever reason. I guess this was part of the scientific um, steps at the time. It was well, then cut into sections. Who doesn't want to see a bleach blonde Yeti? A bleach blonde Yeti. <laughs> uh, These the sections uh, were then in, uh, analyzed uh, with a microscope and then comparing those samples obtained with other known animals, uh, such as bears and orangutans, both of which we've mis- mentioned. Now, Dr. Jones contended that the samples did not match a bear nor orangutan, Um, but he believed they were more out of a goat or a cow.
0: And there's a a lot of hair samples come up in, in my research and I kind of just steered away from them because to be honest, for the most part, they're not very convincing. No, there's one, uh, a separate incident where they had tested, you know, some alleged Yeti hair. And if I remember the details correctly, they, uh they found that they were more similar to a bear, but not of an existing bear, of a bear that has supposedly been extinct. Some sort of glacial polar bear that they Hmm. have in the fossil record that doesn't, you know, Hmm. supposed to have been extinct for thousands of years. Yeah, That in itself would be fascinating if we had these these glacial polar bears.
1: Now, with all the interest, like you said, take what you want, what you believe, but Nepal really started stepping up about 1957 Nepal state, uh, stepped up and they said, look, any expeditions continuing on regarding the Yeti or the wild man, three rules are going to be followed. The first one, obviously you've got to have a government permit. We want to know when you're investigating. And, and and they also wanted to be, they wanted to see first any evidence that was obtained. Uh, two, don't harm the Yeti. Yeah. Unless it's for self-defense. That That clause was put in there. And thirdly, as I started to say, the Nepal government wants to see it first, but they have to approve anything before it gets released to the public. Well, and I believe those rules were agreed to by
0: the United States government, too. That is correct. If hurt. I remember correctly. Yes, that. I think you
1: are. Now. So they they obviously, I think, stood up, and maybe we don't know for sure what it was, but to defend it, to set rules in place. But, but that, that last rule. I mean we we've heard rules like that before on
0: other phenomenon where it's like we get to control what's coming out yes. about it. So if somebody were to suddenly defiantly you know, de- definitively debunk the debunk the yeti it. they could know, also would they, be, would would they be yeah would now they let gonna, that out this is
1: going to cut down part of our tourism yeah we're not going to we're not going to allow that to slip out. But I did find that as interesting. Now are you going to get into the story with uh james stewart i I just have a
0: little blurb about it so if you've got a little more detail than i do i can at least summarize it i i find it to be one of my favorite yeti stories i've I've read it repeatedly but it's the story of uh actor jimmy stewart jimmy stewart which you know let's regard him as a classic american actor absolutely sort of a a good guy while visiting in india and I believe it was in uh, Pongbochi, I think is how you say it. I believe that is correct. He uh, allegedly smuggled a Yeti hand out of India. So that seemed like it'd and be. A movie shady. actor
1: uh, smuggling a Yeti hand out. I I've, I come across the story and I, I thought, I got to find out more about this. So I kind of dug into it a little <laughs> bit more. Um, Pengbochi, I believe, is correct in the pronunciation. And. and In general history, this hand is considered the Panbochi hand.
0: And I believe it was something of like a holy relic almost, isn't it? Absolutely.
1: Um, Now, it was rumored and believed, obviously, to be from a Yeti. Um, One finger bone of the hand was later, it was tested at at one point, and DNA showed it to be human. So there's there's that, first little morsel. Uh, Adding more confusion and mystery to the story, however, there was a Tom Slick. Uh, he was an oil businessman, an adventurer. And let me just say, when it comes to searching
0: for the unknown and the unexplained, I love the name Tom Tom Slick. Slick. It, it just, sounds like an it, old, like a
1: magazine or, title kind or maybe of thing.
0: One of those old cartoons, like you know the um,
1: Johnny Quest or something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tom Slick, uh, he had led several expeditions himself um, in search of the Yeti. And he had said to have discovered this penboshi hand at a monastery previously. Now, when the monks were asked, could it be removed to be scientifically studied? They absolutely said, no, no way, no way. You are not touching this because it had been passed down for at least decades in the monastery. And yes, it was kind of considered a holy kind of relic. Tom Slick and one or one of his associates, um, might have stolen a few <laughs> pieces of that original hand, as the story goes. Um, We're not going to let anything
0: get in the way of the truth here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> some of the stuff, and you go down these rabbit holes, but some of the stuff said that on one of the expeditions where he had discovered this at a monastery, they had lost a man in in the trip, uh, froze to death or whatever. The rumors are that they removed his couple fingers <laughs> to replace it with this yeti hand now you have to envision this yeti hand isn't like in a glass display box for everybody to see it's it's wrapped up in linens and cotton so yeah you could technically pull off a couple (laughs) finger bones i guess and maybe slide some others in there and wrap it back up we appreciate your sacrifice bob yeah thanks bob (laughs) you'll go down in history not maybe in the way you wanted to but um so there was There was this, that these finger bones had been stolen uh, for scientific study um, and replaced it with that of a known human adventurer. So then you have to say, okay, well, at what point was it discovered that the finger was (laughs) dictated by DNA to be human, and was it really that old? Um, But the history of this penboshi hand, the monks finally, they kept going back, and, and I'm sure they just harassed the heck out of these poor monks, you know. Yeah. It's so rude. I mean, it, honestly, it is. Well, it's,
0: it's, it's American, though. Yeah, it's, it is. probably one way. of the most
1: American things we do, but uh, it's sad. But they stated that the origins of the Yeti hand were legitimate. It was real. And that many, many decades ago, one of their own had walked into a cave to meditate. And while they're in the cave, he found a Yeti that was, he was sharing the cave with. Um, he did not harm it. And the Yeti did not harm him. So it was kind of a spiritual accepting nature, one accepting another. Again, the Yeti's commonly regarded as
0: being peaceful. And I know, you know, the the religions in the area, you know, they revere the
1: Yeti. That's a spiritual entity to them. Yes, that's why you don't want any harm to come to it. Well, finally, he, he completes his meditation. They share the cave together. He leaves the Yeti there. And I guess later on, it does mention that, you know, there wasn't a lot of communication. There wasn't a lot of, you know, up close. It was the Yeti was in the cave with me, but it was kind of off to the side. Now, several years later, the same monk returned to the same cave and he found the Yeti deceased. So maybe the Yeti was sick when he was there years ago. Maybe that's where the Yeti lived and it finally just died of old age. But he felt that that story needed to be shared and proven. So that is where the hand come from. He actually, it said, removed a scalp, which I'd mentioned in one of the earlier stories, as well as this hand, and he took it back basically to bestow upon the monks of his monastery to protect this new religious artifact. After several people had studied it, again, which fingers did they study? At what time frame did it all take place? Scientifics said that it was the closest, the closest match they could find would have been a Neanderthal type man, and and that seems to come up quite a bit the Neanderthal connection.
0: Well, I've just got a, a series of little one offs, and if you had, if you hear one that you you know have a little more detail on, All right? Uh, like I said, it's just kind of a lot of little sightings. So uh, having 1940, and I'm going to butcher this name, I'm sure, Slawomir Rewitz. Uh, documented in his book The Long Walk that uh, his group had been stopped while crossing the Himalayas when their path was blocked for hours by two bipedal animals that just seemed to be shuffling around in the snow. Two of them. Two of them. 1942, uh, documented in Myra Shackley's book Still Living, Yeti, Sasquatch, and the Neanderthal Enigma. There's a Neanderthal. Where's that reference again. Two hikers saw two black specks moving across the snow about a quarter mile below them. Uh, And then, quote, the height was not much less than eight feet. The heads were described as squarish, and the ears must lie close to the skull. Shoulders were sloped sharply down to a powerful chest, and it was covered in reddish-brown hair.
1: As you're saying this, I'm sorry, I'm picturing Harry and the Hendersons.
0: Well, that head shape is definitely... Definitely
1: that Neanderthal uh, big forehead Harry Harry would have been too big. Yeah, Yeah. much much larger, much larger.
0: 1948. Peter Byrne reports finding yeti footprints in northern Sikkim, India, near the Zemu Glacier, which we've mentioned before. Hotspot. 1951. Eric Shipton takes photos of a number of prints in the snow at about 20,000 feet above sea level, and that's where your big yetis are at, oh, the big boy. But uh, it doesn't document the size of the, the footprint. 1953, and here's a here's a famous name, Sir Edmund Hillary. Mm. And Tenzing Norgay reported seeing footprints while scaling Mount Everest. Tenzing believed that the Yeti was just a large ape. Uh, He had never seen one, but his father had seen one twice. He was a native of the area. 1954,
1: Mountaineer John Jackson tracked and photographed many footprints in the snow. Now, on your research... A lot of the research I did for the Yeti, it seemed to have only three or four toes. Is that?
0: Now, I did not about? find reference to to the toes. So. Um,
1: I I was kind of when I went into this. A lot of people, I think, I, I had been you know asked, well, what's the difference between a Yeti and a Bigfoot? You know, and I, if nothing else, I think people should learn here that there are several differences. One, uh, the Bigfoot Sasquatch, if you will, to Northern America, seems to be a human shaped foot but just on a larger scale yeah. for the most part um this however does seem to have a totally different footprint if well if you, you
0: want to throw back though when we talked about the Falk monster i think we we talked about did it mention a, toes a,
1: and, a, and one toe kind of pulled off to the yeah. side uh, but a lot of this reference it seems to always or not always but the majority of the time go back to that neanderthal man aspect yeah I, that comes up quite a bit i think that if nothing else, should definitely differentiate the two.
0: Got a couple more. 1970, Mountaineer Don Willens claimed to have seen a Yeti when scaling Annapurna. Uh, and it say, says at one point in time he saw it moving on all fours. And then uh finally, the last little documented sighting that uh, I'm going to put in this group. March of uh, 86, Anthony Wooldridge a hiker in the himalayas saw what he thought was a yeti he said it was stand, standing in the snow near a ridge about 500 feet away said it didn't move or make any noise but he did see in the snow strange tracks that led in the direction of the creature hmm and and this is just a smattering of, of you know all yeti sightings and there there's many many more obviously i know shows like uh. Um, what's the Josh Gates Expedition? Expedition
1: Unknown. One I think I
0: them. even watched that particular episode. I remember that one. I mean, I hate to be this guy, but with most of those shows, they got, man, they got as close as you could possibly get to seeing the thing without actually seeing without it. Without actually, yeah. So Now, something that did stand out, I thought, was kind of interesting and kind of revitalized interest in the Yeti phenomenon. In April of 2019, the Indian Army uh, had a mountaineering expedition team and they actually posted on, I think it was, I think they had Twitter maybe. Right. <laughs> Instagram, something like that. Something along those Some lines. Some social media. They posted where they had found Yeti footprints in the mountains, up in the snow. And this, again, we when we talk about documenting unexplained phenomenon, you know, this is the Indian Army.
1: Yeah. like and they're In 2019. I mean, yeah. Pretty, and they're pretty darn documenting
0: recent. these Yeti footprints and claiming them to be Yeti footprints.
1: Now, one of the things I in, in the research... Did you come across anything with any like skeletal remains, with the exception of that the one hand and the scalp?
0: I, again, I kind of shied away from a lot of the physical remains because it seemed like a lot of those stories always ended with they were very inconclusive. Yeah, he so, said she said, so kind of no, story. i I don't remember finding any I didn't like come that. across
1: that either, which again, that is something in maybe conjunction with the uh, local bigfoot sasquatch. That's one of the things that scientists are like, okay, well, if they've been there for this long, Show me skeletal remains. Show me proof. Um, But back to the only piece that I came across was this this hand. I guess finally enough attention had come to that hand that they did return whatever was left to the monastery. Which you think, oh, that's a nice gesture. But once again, America Strikes. They came out on Unsolved Mysteries, uh, an older show from the 80s. Many of you might remember. Love that. Oh, I did. That (laughs) intro music especially. Anyhow, Unsolved Mysteries had done a special on it, and within months after airing, someone stole, again, the (laughs) hand, and it went supposedly deep under uh, the illegal underground of, you know, black market antiquities. Several people uh, had bragged that they had it in their possession, even had some photos of it that looked very recent, but to this day, um, we may never know or see it ever again.
0: And that's a shame. These people revere that as a a holy relic and... You know, again, here we are stealing it from them. Yeah. Which, you know, if I was any good at impressions, I'd love to do a Jimmy Stewart impression of, you know, like I got your Yeti hand. <laughs> but it, that's just a shame. You know, well, why some would we have millionaire
1: or billionaires got it locked yeah. away in their basement. Some, with somebody a with more
0: on it. money than they got common sense—the kind of person that buys. You know, I'm not going to imply anyone in particular, but the kind of person that would buy castles and T-Rex skulls. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're talking about Nicolas Cage. Yes, yes, but people who have money and apparently no sense and no sense of respect for other people yeah this is your holy relic but since i got money i'm gonna
1: well and especially when samples were taken from that they did derive that it was a human dna uh you know later samples was tying it back at that time for the technology neanderthal i mean that sounds like a key piece of information that as we learn more and more in advance in science that we could probably learn a lot off of that lost piece. If,
0: if it's legit. If it's a, legit. There's a
1: lot there to be learned, yeah. yeah. It's sad. So, and
0: and unfortunately, yeah, now, now we may never know. Unless Nicolas Cage has it, and, if and he'd it ever, like to come forward. Well, I was going to say, if it ever does pop up again, how are you going to know if that's the legit, you know, artifact? Right, or... right. Well, it's so. got Bob's fingers in it,
1: <laughs> so we yeah. could track it back if, to that. If
0: one of the fingers doesn't match,
1: Well, we hope that you enjoyed this. Uh, It was educational and uh, kind of fun to do on this. And again, it's just another example of what you might find on Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Thanks for listening in, folks. Hey, this is Eric, and I just wanted to give a little reach out and a plug to our first paying sponsor for Nightmares on the Lost Highway. That's our little family uh, toy and gaming shop here in Lebanon, Missouri, called Raven's Loft. If you happen to be in the central... Missouri area. Please check us out. We have two locations. First one is at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon. We've also branched out to a second location out at the Heartland Antique Mall, also here in Lebanon. You're going to find all kinds of vintage toys, Star Wars, Star Trek, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Mego, Universal Monsters, all types of gaming, board games, Magic the Gathering. So we would appreciate it if you'd uh, stop by. You can like our Facebook page. Uh, Swing by and check us out. Thank you so much. I would like to thank uh, Alex Tudor, who has been helping us uh, a lot uh, with our endeavors on this podcast.
0: You could call him our producer at this point, I think. Our
1: producer, electronic recording technician. Uh, um, he's uh, the one that's setting up all the mics and the hardware in the background. And then Bill Weirs is going through taking his time to try to clean and edit this up and uh, give us the best possible version that we can present to you folks. want to thank everybody involved with that.